this book. In fact, I actually wrote the book because it was a kind of a cowardly play. I say this, I admit this, I knew this back then. It was a cowardly way for me to get my knowledge out to thousands. Hello, fellow Earthlings. Welcome to the Becoming the Big Me podcast. I'm your host, Jamila Burney, and together we will be stepping into our highest potential, exploring all things mind, body, and soul with just a smidge of business. You're a spiritual badass, soulpreneur, and a warrior for change. You're ready to expand your impact and leave your old self behind in order to raise your vibration so that you can positively influence your business, your community, and ultimately, the world. Without further ado, let's dive right into it. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Becoming the Big Me podcast. I'm so excited, you guys. I have an amazing guest with me here today, Tony Watley. Tony is an entrepreneur, business mentor, best-selling author, podcast host, and speaker. He's best known as the co-founder of LS1 Tech, which is an online automotive community, which grew into the largest of its kind. This website grew to over 300,000 registered members and was later sold for millions in only five years. This is why Tony is known as the side hustle millionaire. Tony shares his mindset and business strategies within his book, Side Hustle Millionaire, and he teaches entrepreneurs how to start, scale, and sell their business within his podcast and consulting brand, 365 Driven. Hi, Tony. I'm so excited to have you here today on the Becoming the Big Me podcast. Well, I'm honored to be on your show, and it's been incredible to watch your journey the last few years, and you've grown, and I love the title of your show, it's Becoming the Big Me. It's good. That's good. Thank you, Tony. Yes, you guys, Tony and I um, are met through a group uh, called Arte that we both joined. I can't even remember when it started now. Is it three years ago? Must have been 2018. Okay. Yeah. So we met when they first started and I was just kind of on the very beginning of my journey of really putting myself out there into the world. And so it's been really cool um, because Tony really started diving into his consulting really hardcore at that time as well. So we've kind of been able to watch each other on these journeys and we're on different stages of our lives, but it's been really awesome. And I'm so excited to bring Tony to you guys today and just kind of talk about his story. So Tony, if we could just dive right into it. I really want to hear about um, where you got started because I know that you were not always an entrepreneur. You're in the co- corporate field. What yeah, Absolutely. That, <laughs> I, I didn't grow up with any entrepreneurs in my family by far. I, I was actually the first person in my entire family on both sides to go to college and get a degree. And I had to pay for that myself. So I watched my parents were really hard workers. My mom worked cafeterias in the public schools. And my dad, after he got out of the military, he worked in the chemical refineries here in the Houston area. And so after I graduated high school, I basically went and also worked in the chemical refineries at age 18. And that was able you know, to work and go full time doing that construction, laborer, welder, things like that. And that's how it paid for my engineering degree. So I, I never thought about becoming a business owner. I always knew that I could be a leader and do things like that. But when you go through a public school system and you watch your parents working extremely hard, it just really comes down to 
them thinking that you need to get an education, which a degree and go get a steady job, you know, with the air quotes, a steady job and, you know, maybe find a wife and have a kid someday and have a house, you know, and that, that's kind of like the, the typical American lifestyle. White picket fence dream. Yeah. And, and if you can make it, if you can make six figures, you're going to be rich that, you know, that's the kind of the, the, I don't know, I would say it's a rumor, you know, that we, we are kind of misled. I think that six figures, that was the goal back in the 1970s when that kind of became the goal. But due to inflation and everything costing a whole lot more than the 1970s, it's unfortunate that our goals haven't changed, even though the dollars have decreased in value. Yeah, that's that's really true. I mean, as, as a single mom, you know, with childcare and all of those other costs, that that can add up very, very quickly. That's kind of the baseline these days just to get by. Yeah, absolutely. You got SUVs and pickup trucks out there that are $100,000, where when this was the original goal, <laughs> brand new vehicles were $3,000, you know, the perspectives. Right. So so you were going to school and you were taking just the, the, the route that you saw, right, that you saw as the path to success. Yeah, absolutely. They, they always tell you, if you want to go make $100,000 or more, you need to be a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. Well, I love cars. I've always been a car fanatic. And I said, well, maybe there's something in engineering that applies to cars. Well, that is, it's mechanical engineering. So anything that's got machinery or motions or engines and things like that, that's mechanical engineering. So I said, cool, well, I can go get a degree and actually learn something and something I have a lot of passion for. And it was hard for me. I actually struggled. I was very average at math and engineering is basically a math degree <laughs> with a bunch of other science classes. So <laughs> I, I had to learn how to study. I was a straight A student in high school because high school was really easy for me. But when you get into engineering school, all of the top 10% students are in there. Now you become average. So I actually got my very first C in college. And I thought my life was over at that time. So, And that's when you start to kind of understand real life. And something that you talk about a lot is like how the cream rises to the top. You know, in life, we're going to be thrown into all of these situations that are going to be hard for everyone. And some people might learn easier and some people might learn harder. But at the end of the day, if you put in the work to figure out how you learn and apply those strategies, you can succeed. It might take you more work than somebody else. Right. <laughs> you know, that's where I say it's like you don't have to be the best at something. You just have to outlast them. And most people just quit too soon when it comes to doing anything, whether it's their fitness or starting a business or even this podcast stuff. And, or maybe you want to start writing a book and things like that. People will start pretty, pretty energetic and they're jazzed up about starting something. And average I've seen in my, my here, my career and everything is probably about three months. People can go really hard for about three months and then they don't get the reaction or the response or the revenue that they feel entitled to, or they think that they deserve. And so they think they start having the negative thoughts in their mind. Like, maybe I'm just not cut out for this. Maybe I'm not good for this. Or maybe I should do something else. Maybe I should pivot. Maybe I should go try something new. And that's what happens is they lose momentum and they keep doing this. And it's a repeat cycle. They just keep finding themselves in the situation of going really hard, quitting, going really hard, quitting, going really hard, quitting. And, and for me, I know that most people will quit. I would say that 80% of people will quit if I were going to put a number on that. So if I can just outlast them, which to me is like, 12 months minimum of going hard and putting in the effort for minimum of 12 months, or I don't even start, then I can actually outlast 80% of my competition, just knowing that that's a strategy. And that leaves me with a competition field with only 20% of the people who saw that time through. 
So it's actually a really unique strategy if you can go really aggressive with your actions, but just be patient for the results. Well, and that's, that's such a fantastic point, Tony. And part of the problem why people are in this mindset is because we're being sold a lie. We're being sold by all of these, you know, people on the internet who go out and, you know, rent these things to create these flashy videos to shove in our face and to tell us that you can, you know, make six figures in 30 seconds, you know, and like telling us all of these things. And so then when that's not reality, you know, unless you're going to be going out there and getting that money in a weird way as well, telling people that they can get money when you haven't even gotten money yet. And it turns into this weird pyramid of like, <laughs> weird information being thrown around and everybody is getting bought into this idea that success is instant and it's just not if you truly want to be successful it's those daily actions and it's that one foot in front of the other and that's not attractive that's that's not sexy to sell and people don't want to believe that they want to believe that it can be easy they want to believe that they can just get everything instantaneously and that's the dream that they're being sold unfortunately and and one thing that i'm very passionate about is the breaking that um ideology that that's that's real i mean yeah you can have short success quickly that is something that can happen i've experienced it myself as well but then what you know what's what's next is there a foundation is it sustainable is it gonna crumble you know i've been in that said you know i've been in that situation i've had massive success quickly and then you know weird things with you know partnerships and different things and the foundation's not there so how have you gone about to really establish your foundation I think a lot of times we spend too much time trying to validate externally. We're trying to get people to approve of or give us some attaboys or girls in your case of, of doing the things that we're doing. We're always looking external for validation. And the highest strength always comes from just focusing on what the objectives and the goals that you are and just focusing on those internally. Like you have to want things for yourself. You don't need to have the compliments and the accolades from external people because Let's face it, everybody's busy. Everybody's got their own lives to deal with. And if you're seeking external validation all the time for these things, you're probably not going to get as much as you would like to receive. Because we would all love to have like a standing ovation every time you entered the room or have a bunch of paparazzi taking our photos. That's just not realistic. So you got to start being thinking about what is it internal that's driving me and, and what is it that's going to deliver the results or the goals that I want to achieve, regardless of what people say or think. Because you, you and I both know because we've both done things, we do things that are polarizing because we have really strong beliefs in the things we, we, we really forward and push on, on, on what we want to achieve in this world. We get that. And there's always going to be these naysayers and the critics and the people disagreeing with what we do and how we raise our kids or how we say things. Or, so you have to be really strong internally, just be really focused on that and not worried about the good or the bad from people that honestly we wouldn't trade places with or people we don't even haven't even earned our respect. Why would we care about what their opinions are, right? So it took me a long time to grow that kind of a thick skin and understand that I get to determine what my outcome is based on the actions I put in. And I also try to focus on really only the things that I can control. A lot of times people get really wrapped up in anxiety and, and depression and all these things based on things that are beyond their control. You know, and the way it is, is things are going to work out the way they're going to work out, regardless of if, if you want to be sad or happy about it, because 
those things are literally outside of your control. So might as well be happy and take the happy side of those things and <laughs> focus on the things that you can control. Because if you if you waste a lot of energy and emotion on things that are outside of your control, then it's not really a positive thing. It's going to help you out. It doesn't help you. Yeah, because then you don't have energy for the things that you can control and that are going to yeah. move you forward. You know, I really want to, I really want to hear. So for you, what was kind of the pivot point in your corporate career where you realized that you wanted something more? How did, how did LS1 Tech, like how did that concept come to be? Well, most people think that entrepreneurs need to be inventors or highly creative. And I would label myself as an inventor and highly creative, but it's not the case when it comes to business. Okay. Most businesses are out there that you can think of any of the big name businesses that you understand. They're really a better version of something that already existed. Very few companies are brand new, breathtaking world dominating ideas. They're always just a little bit of a tweak of something that annoys you about some existing product or service. How can I improve that? And if it's something that's continually annoying you, maybe you should pay attention to that. Maybe I can make something that solves that. So for the case of LS1 Tech, that's what, what it was. So I was a member of another larger community that was initially called ls1.com. And we were one of the biggest, one of the biggest contributors on there. I was writing all these how-to articles and creating content and being who I am all the time, right? I was doing this in 1998, the same thing. And the guy that was running that website wasn't paying his bills all the time, even though he had sponsors and it was his side hustle as well. He just wasn't good at managing it as a business. So sometimes you would log into the website and it wouldn't exist. It'd just be like error 404 or website not found. And the guy was really bad at backing up the data. So all that content that we'd be creating, like thousands of us would be deleted and he wouldn't have a backup of it. So after that happened about three times, we kind of approached him and said, hey, we're your biggest supporters. We're creating all this articles and things like that for you to draw an audience here. How come you aren't paying your bills? Because back then, if you didn't pay your bills, the server host would just delete your stuff. That's how they yeah. taught you a lesson, right? He didn't back it up or pay his bills. And instead of taking that as constructive feedback, he said, well, if you think you could do a better job, why don't you go start your own website? <laughs> you don't tell people like me that because I already <laughs> learned how to build websites as a side business back then. I taught myself HTML and Photoshop and photography and I was writing for magazines. I said, well, you know what? I've never hosted a server before, but I'm pretty sure I can go find a server host and I've never uploaded a software package for a community, but I'm sure I have instructions when you buy the software license to go do that. So I just figured it out. And you know, I started it up and, and, I, and I was a little more cocky back then because I was in my, I was probably like 27, 28 when I started that. And so I started it up and he's like, well, when you get more followers than, or more members than me, you could tell me how to run a website. And he had about 10,000 members at that time. So by the end of the year, I had 11,000 members. I made sure to email him and said, hey, I didn't take my advice the first time or the second time. So I'm just going to let you know that we're, we're already top of the market share. And the reason that we became successful, Julia, is that we, we focused on this business as a legit business. Even though it was a side business, I didn't treat it like a hobby. I may have initially thought it was going to be a hobby, but once it started actually cash flowing really big amounts, making 10,000 a profit a month, I said, oh, crap this is more than just a website for guys to talk about cars on. It's actually a business. This is real money coming. It's more than my income. And so I created an LLC and I got a business bank account and started doing things more legit at that point. 
which a key point in that is that if you're listening to this or watching this, understand that you don't have to have everything in place to start a business. You got to just take the actions to create the audience or create the revenue, or create some kind of offering and product or service. And the money is going to start to come in and then you can start to fill in the blocks, the things that you're missing. Maybe you do the LLC a little later. Maybe you start to create the domain and the custom web pages a little bit later. You don't have to have all these things at first. A lot of people think you had to have all the answers, all the tools, all the things like, no, because entrepreneurs and you're a young one yourself, we learn a lot from our failures. And if you didn't have any failures, to me, I don't know if you're a good entrepreneur because the best entrepreneurs I know, including me, we've had a lot of failures and those were valuable lessons. And the best thing about that is when the company's really small and you learn those lessons, it doesn't cost you a lot of time or dollars. Imagine learning those lessons later on when you build something that's worth millions of dollars and then you get punched in the face. I'd rather learn a lot of those things at the beginning and take bigger risks at the beginning because it's easy to push the reset button and start something better and keep growing from there. I love that. I mean, and that's totally what I did, Tony, because, you know, I didn't have any resources to to start anything. So I just kind of kept throwing stuff at the wall until something stuck. And then once something stuck, I ran with it. And and that's really, you know, a lot of times what it is, you got to kind of test the market, see how people are going to respond to it, and then just check off the boxes. Like Tony's saying, just check off the boxes as they come. It doesn't have to be a all at one time, like this crazy thing, like everything at one time, $10,000 instantly thing. No, it's a process. It is a step-by-step process and it's a journey. And that's something that is very cool about your journey, Tony, is because it really exemplifies that. It, it, you going through you know, school, learning how you learn, learning how to succeed in that environment, and then following your passion, finding a problem, solving the problem and then continue to grow from there and then growing into you know what you have now speaking writing books you know like it's incredible what you can create when you truly just dedicate to taking the next step each and every day that's all it is the next step becoming the big me it's a journey of becoming and i'm sure you have so much more left to give and so much more that you're going to create and that is so exciting. I would love to talk about kind of like your speaking career, because I know that that was something that was difficult for you in the beginning, um, but was something that you knew that you had to overcome. How, like, how did you go about that, Tony? You know, I avoided this for a very long time in my career. Although I'd been a manager and I'd run teams of 75 to 100 people, in a corporate setting, I've been a leader. I've, I've, I've made multiple six figures in high-level project management, managing hundreds of millions of dollars. And I always told myself I was good at public speaking because I'd give a one hell of a slideshow presentation, right? Oh, I've given hundreds of slideshow presentations. I've stayed on the construction vessels offshore and did the pep rally, the, the kickoff meeting for the project and you know, 200 people on deck. And I said, I don't need public speaking lessons. I'm good at this. I'm good at this. That's ego talking because... <laughs> If you're the manager or a CEO or whatever, if you're listening to this and you think that you have the occasional courage to speak in front of people that that is public speaking, it's not true. The occasional courage to speak in front of other people is probably only 5% of what public speaking tactics and training actually are. So that's the easiest part. It may seem like it's the hardest part, but that's the easiest part. And so what happened is I discovered at a oil and gas conference I was, I was attending 
And I was sitting in the, in the front of the stage because the, the company I represented was a VIP and the guy was on the stage and he was asking for questions or ideas for the industry. And this room was a thousand people, big room. I'm not from that industry. I was nat- that was natural gas. I'm from offshore. And I had a good response to his question. So I raised my hand and he called me first and I was like, crap. <laughs> so he was only like 10 feet away. So I started to blurt out the answer just from my seat. And he's like, hold up a second. Let's get this gentleman a microphone so everyone in the room can hear him. And so I started to feel my temperature started to rise and I started to feel the cotton mouth and I started to feel the sweaty palms and, and it felt like the, the moisture was sucked out of my mouth and was relocating to my armpits. And, <laughs> and I was like the physiological signs of fear. I, I felt the, the sweat droplets starting to form on the top of my head like you ate a spicy pepper and and I'm looking around for this dumb microphone and it's a lady on the other side of the hall and she's walking really slowly and it felt like an eternity. And you know, she finally gets to me and, and I take that microphone with my cold, clammy hand and I kind of start speaking and I notice my voice is kind of trembling compared to normal. I was like, whoa, that's weird, but nobody here knows me. So I'm just going to roll with it. So I give the answer. It's probably less than a minute. Felt like a long time, but it wasn't. And everybody applauded and I sat down and everybody at the table I was sitting you know, with, they were like, oh, that was a great answer. And I I started to black out. I couldn't even hear them. I was like, I could see them saying things and I could hear the audience, but I, I was just like, what the hell just happened to me? I was like, what the hell was that? And I remember like sitting there sweating and using the stupid cloth napkins, which don't really absorb anything. And I'm like smearing it all over my face because I'm trying to wipe it off and it, it's not going away. So I realized like in that moment, it's like, I actually have stage fright because I was in a room of a thousand people that I didn't know. And I started thinking about why didn't I ever experience this before? It's because the people that I spoke in front of before were my team. They called me boss and they were a captive audience. And so if you want to really kick in the nuts to your ego, it's like, oh crap, I was only confident in front of a captive audience who, you know, couldn't get up to go take a piss break because I was boring or <laughs> you know, couldn't surf Instagram because I was, you know, not, not you know, engaging them. So after that, I said, okay, well, I have a new fear, uh, obviously. And how do I get over that? I said, okay, well, I'm going to put that off a little bit. You know, I just kind of knew that I needed to do something, right? And it wasn't until I started writing my book in 2017, end of 2017, I wrote Side Hustle Millionaire. I started writing it and it launched in May of 18, right before our take kicked off. And while I was writing this book, in fact, I actually wrote the book because it was a kind of a cowardly play. I say this, I admit this, I knew this back then. It was a cowardly way for me to get my knowledge out to thousands of people. I used to say thousands. I want to impact thousands of people. And I want to write this book of my entrepreneurial knowledge and put it out there for people. And if it's good, it's good. If it's bad, it's bad. Whatever. I did it. Right. (laughs) But it was never meant to be getting on TV or standing up on a stage or podcast or any of that. It was just, I'm going to write this book because I could still hide from people and put it out there and so that's what I did. And as I'm writing this book, my editor is getting a chapter at a time and he's really pumping me up. He's like, man, this is, this is going to be a good book. I can already tell like a lot of people are going to love this book. And, and then one of those chapters he said to me, because they might interview you, they might want you to come on TV or the radio or podcasts. And, and there was again, that, that fear that I was trying to avoid <laughs> from only a few years, only like that was 2016 when I experienced that fear. So here it was a year later, I'm being confronted with the same fear. I said, okay, I need to do something about this. I need to go prepare myself to have the confidence to be able to do these interviews and get on there and public speak. So I joined Toastmasters and I 
anything I learned in that one week meeting, I would do videos every single day on social media just to practice the things that I learned. And they totally sucked. The first few videos were awful and I get it, but it was the best I could do. I would usually sit in my truck after the, after the gig and I would take 10 takes, just 10 takes. And maybe one of those was good enough. That was the best it was going to get. So I would just share that. And I, and that's, and I forced myself to do this every single day for over a year and people started to see me improve. And then honestly, I got better and I'm never going to go delete those old videos because they were terrible. They're very monotone like this. I was just Tony. Mm -hmm. I, I called my old version of myself monotone because I just had <laughs> one voice, one speed, one volume, no, no emotion, no energy, like dude, dude talk. That's how dudes talk. And <laughs> But that's, that's, uh, that's how we had to go through it. We, I had to become the big me in my 40s, right? And I, I tell you, that'd be, that unlocked a, a beast because once I started learning tactics and practicing and doing the reps because there's no other way to improve, I actually joined the Toastmaster Spring Competition and I, went, I won three different events. So I started winning at public speaking events only six months after I started training for public speaking. That's how I'm shows you kind of the intensity that I get into when I want to do something. And that's what those videos really helped out with. And so I inspired thousands of people. The book launched, became a number one bestseller on Amazon, sold thousands of copies the first week. It sold thousands and thousands and thousands since. And so now I, I have impacted thousands of people, but now I say I impact, I'm going to impact millions of people because I've already done thousands. So I had to evolve and become the right person hmm. to carry my story. So the book was good. But I still had to become the right person to stand on that stage or be on TV and the radio. All those things I had fear about, they all happened. I've done all that stuff, but it, I had to become the right person to do that. Oh my goodness. Mic drop, you guys. That is so, that is so spot on. We can dream up these visions of what we want for ourselves and what we want for our lives. But unless we are willing to actually become the person that has all of those things that we desire, we're not going to receive them. Um, and Tony, that, that just brings back, you know, how 80% of people are gonna fall off. If you can just outlast them just with your, your speaking. If you, <laughs> if you, how many people actually do that? Like how many people are gonna go to Toastmasters and then of all the people that go to Toastmasters, how many do you think are going home then and then doing all of these videos every single day to perfect it? How many people- I, be, I became the president. I became the president of that group <laughs> a, a year into it. For over a year, I was a president and I've helped hundreds of people in and out those doors and not one that I can think of has ever done what I did. That's absolutely incredible. I mean, and most people, a lot of people chalk off Toastmasters as well. And I think that's silly because I love Toastmasters. I've been going, um, Tony actually is the one that inspired me to start going to Toastmasters, which really kind of inspired me just being more present online and showing this, you know, being able to be comfortable doing this podcast. I did not go as hard as Tony into it, but it definitely helped me get more confidence. And whenever I'm feeling like I need a refresher, I just pop into a, I'll just go to a local meeting. And it's a great way to meet people. It's a great oh, yeah. little networking opportunity as well. Um, I think that's amazing. And that you are, are humble enough to understand that, hey, I'm not yet the person that I need to be to have the things that I want. So I guess I'm going to have to humble myself and go and learn from people that know a little bit more than me about this subject. 
You know, that, that is key. What you just said is key, right? I find that the more established or successful that people are, the more unwilling they tend to be about starting over in something that they just suck at, right? <laughs> Let's say that you're a high-level CEO or you're somewhat famous or you got some notoriety or just something like that. And you want to go do something completely new. That's a new skill set. If that's public speaking or a sport or anything, I find a lot of people are just unwilling to go suck. They're just unwilling to do that. They think it's a lateral move. They think, hey, I'm a high level this, so I should just move right across and be high level that too, right? It's ego. It's ego that gets in their way. Because I'll tell you that some of the people that would join Toastmasters would come in their executive or C-suite in some company and and they come in, they're still got their tie and their jacket on because they came out after work. And, and I said, hey, well, welcome here. How did you find us? Why are you here? And oh, I've heard this response. They'll say something like, oh, I'm only here because the, the board of directors recommended that I come here, but I'm an executive at this company and I'm just here to you know, learn a little bit. So that you could already see the ego in the door. They came in with the tie still on. Like you were in your car, bro. You could have took the tie off. But <laughs> But they, they have that ego and they think that since they're CEO that they don't need public speaking. So I, that's me. That was me in the past, right? But when, when I thought about that and within two meetings, those people are severely humble. They realize because we make them get up there and introduce themselves and they're, uh, 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 just not good. So you're like, you're, you're thinking, well, no shit. No wonder the board of directors told you to go get public speaking because you're the CEO and they need you to be polished and be able to communicate effectively to move the company a little faster. So it's funny how people think that they're good at something until they get actual lessons. And then they go, oh my gosh, I'm such a newbie, such a newbie. The ego, the ego world. I mean, and the internet just kind of amplifies the ego too. I Because people, everyone's out there flashing their ego and all of their, I, I'm the bestest at, at everything. And it makes other people feel like, that's how they have to be too. And, and, you know, honestly, um, as a young entrepreneur, I've fallen into that as well. You know, when you're looking for guidance, when you're looking for, you know, what's the way, um, and that's all that you see from all of the media, all of the people around you, it's very easy to start, you know, going down that line as well. I think it's very important to have people and experiences that um, will will humble you. And I think that that's a big benefit. And it's kind of weird to say, but a big benefit of having those failures as well, having those failures and things that don't go exactly as planned because it brings you back to the reality. <laughs> you know, all these social media fake flexing Instagram gurus out there are one of the reasons I actually didn't start sooner doing what I did because I did not want to be lumped into the same categories because you, you mentioned it. There's a lot of fakes. There's a lot of people renting Lamborghinis and posing. I always crack up because they pose with both doors open, but there's just one of them in the photo. So I actually made a post like that. I went out to my driveway and I opened up my Jeep and I opened all four doors and I sat on the tailgate like an Instagram guru. I said, you know, here, me, here I am flexing with all my doors open. And so it's like, why do they have that door open? It's like, are they waiting there for their dog to jump in? Or did the passenger run away from them? Or, you know, why do you have both doors open and that mean mug and pose with your cell phone with maybe a stack of cash or you're looking at your watch or just something super lame, right? And I said, I didn't ever want to be those people. So I bring a little humor to the things I've seen. You see some of the things I post and I like to jab at that because 
I think that's disingenuous and I think it's a, the wrong message. And like you said, it misleads a lot of people. And it really caused me to not even really want to be in the personal development space for a very long time. But eventually my purpose became stronger than my fear of avoiding those things. And I realized that, no, the, the industry needs me. The industry needs me and other people that are like me that actually have accomplished things to go actually share legitimate knowledge and empathy and love with these people rather than trying to get in their wallet. And that's what had happened. I just basically go in there. I'm very bold and I'm vocal against the fakes. And, you know, and the, the people that resonate with that, they come hang out with me and the fakes get driven out of my circle. And that's great. I love that. I don't want those people around anyway. So thank you for bringing up that topic. It's a good one. I, yeah, I love that. And that's really my focus right now is I've um, really chosen to humble myself and use my talents and my gifts to help elevate others who are building their legacies right now, you know, people who have spent, you know, 20, 30, 40 years working in their given industry, in their given field and are experts at what they do. And then using my gifts and my talents to help them get their message to the world and to the internet. And because those are the people that need to be elevated. Those are the voices that need to be heard. Those are the stories that young entrepreneurs and, and kids need to be hearing because that's that's really what building a business, that's what building a legacy is truly about. And um, so I'm just super excited to be able to be like, kind of starting that journey with, you know, clarity of who needs to be elevated into this world. And that's another reason why I'm having, you know, having this show and having guests on is because I want to elevate the people that are out there in the world, impacting others' lives, doing real things, building real things. You guys, Tony built LS1 Tech to a massive, massive community. That is a great accomplishment. Um, in, in addition to working um, in, you know, you were working in what, the oil and gas for, you know, most of your career, like, it's just so incredible. So as, as your book started to expand, as your book started to expand, you started to get more confident. I know Arte had a lot to do with you, you know, getting, getting more confident and getting on more stages and um, all of that. What kind of, what, like, what, what are you doing now? Like, what are you doing now with 365? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there was definitely some phases going through anything you're doing publicly. Cause I've built those large companies and I actually was able to duplicate that LS1 tech to grew to 300,000 plus, and also invented performance trucks.net, which nobody even talks about number two, right? Because that was <laughs> number two, but that was 280,000 people. So almost the same size, both of those are bigger than most existing membership websites ever. Yeah. But it's kind of funny, that's a good example of people only remember your best, right? And so I said, well, what can I take from that knowledge of leadership, core values, staff, picking the right people and apply it to a different thing? So I wanna build a group of millions of people that's focused on entrepreneurship and personal development with that same side of core values and leadership that I used to build half a million of people in different websites. So that's what I'm doing with 365 Driven. It's an entrepreneurship community. I know you participate in there once in a while too. So I see you and it's a, it, I wanted to build a, a really safe community for people to get the support they needed, have unlimited mentorship. I've got all my old podcast hosts and, and guests in there. And I've got a lot of the, my personal friends that I've seated. You know, there's some multi multi-millionaires in there. Most people don't even know because they're not influencer famous. <laughs> but they're legit. 
you know, and they're built some eight, nine, 10 figure companies that hang out in my group. And, you know, they're not ever going to say how rich they are flex or put the fake Lambo doors up and things like that. So but those are the people you want to be around. You know, they're ones that have that growth mindset, willing to help and answer questions and support people because I didn't have that when I grew the website. I learned everything I did from just reading books because you got to realize for context, I started that website in 2001. There wasn't a YouTube and there wasn't Facebook and there wasn't Instagram. Those came out 2008, 2010. And so I actually built and sold a multiple million dollar company before Facebook was even a thing. You know, that came, Facebook came out a year out after I sold. You know, Tim Ferriss's book, The Four Hour, Four Hour Work Week, that book came out two years after I made millions of dollars by building a business that was literally a four hour work week. So I remember reading that book thinking like, hey, this is pretty good stuff. I probably should have wrote that book. Let's be honest. I was like, holy crap, this is what I did. That's what I did. Cool. You know, just validated the things I already believed. So it's kind of funny how things just kind of work out like that. And, you know, when you build something that's uh, large like that, you can do it in the shadows, especially in the tech. You don't know a lot of these founders and, and people that made millions and billions of dollars. You would never recognize them. But when you start to do things in public, like you and I do now, building your, your personal brand and your, your, your words and your vocals and your content and your book, and you're going to have a lot of criticism that's going to start to surface. It's sometimes going to be your family or friends. And for me, going through that phase of trying to be liked by everybody initially, because I, I like to be liked, we all like to be liked. I, that was how I started 2017. I, I was focused on just being liked because I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings or anything like that, right? I just wanted to be liked. And people were making fun of the stuff I did. People I had been on vacations with would screenshot the stuff and text each other and make fun of the things I was doing and say, you know, what does he want to be the next Tony Robbins and you know, kind of make jokes with me like that. And like, no, the, the reason I'm doing this is because I actually want to help people. I want to, I want to help millions of people and change their generational legacy. And if that means giving up my corporate job to be really focused on what I need to do in this world, that's what I had to do. And I got rid of those people. January 1st, 2019, my wife and I were in Colorado and on vacation. New Year's Day, we woke up and we said, hey, let's start this year right. Let's make a list of the names of the toxic people, the negative people in our life that are in our Facebook or in our local circles and just get rid of those people. So she made a list. I made a list. We combined the list and we just basically got rid of probably around 20, 22 people that were just deemed as toxic and energy vampires or just people that were frenemies or friends that just really wanted some kind of, uh, you know, they get something from you, just hanging around you, maybe discounts from your business or whatever. They're not really good as supporters. We just got rid of them. And you go, when you do that, you'll go through a mourning phase because you lose these relationships and we're hardwired as pack animals to keep relationships, even if they're toxic, even though we know they're toxic, we try to maintain relationships. It's our human nature. And for about a period of two months, you start to like wonder if you did the right thing and, you know, just should I have given them another chance? And the real reason is we've given these people a lot of chances, many, many chances, and they keep letting us down. People show you who they truly are. You should be grateful for that, whether it's good or bad. So you can move on a little faster because if they keep showing you your negative, they're taking energy, they're making passive aggressive comments or you and not really supporting you, never referring any business to you, never even doing anything with you, they don't belong in your life, right? And so that was a hard decision we made to go through. And then after that, I said, okay, I've cleared out the trash. Now I'm going to turn up the amplification on what my true message is, what my real thoughts are. 
And you started to see that shift in 2019 when I started to be a little bit more polarizing instead of trying to be light. Yeah. I said, okay, they're going to see the real me. I'm going to say the things I truly believe in. And I know that my opinion can change tomorrow based on new revelations or evidence or data or experience. And when you become a free thinker, it means that you have the, the courage to change your opinion and be equally bold tomorrow about your new opinion than you have today about your old opinion. Most weak people, which is the vast majority of people, truly believe something different today than they did yesterday, but they're willing to say that they still believed in yesterday because they don't want to be perceived as wishy-washy or a flip-flopper or all these stupid societal things <laughs> that say, hey, or, or your friends or your, or your politics or your religion. You're going to find with experience and wisdom and data and new revelations and these things that your opinions change, but a true thought leader is willing to say, well, that's what I thought about yesterday because this this is what I think of today because of this. Most people will never get there. They'll, they'll hold on to the old identity of themselves just to pacify and fit in and not really want to shake a, you know, rattle the, the cages or, or rock the boat. They just want to just, just blend in and they don't, they're afraid of losing those connections again, even with people that they don't even agree with anymore. So that's what I started to do. I was like, you know what? I don't believe in doing that anymore. I'm just going to be more vocal. And the beauty of that is that you push away the people you no longer want to serve which is great, but then you greatly, greatly, greatly attract the people you do want to serve. So you're not playing in the middle, the average, the warm, fuzzy. I still see a lot of people out there. I try to help in my group and they're still in that warm, fuzzy phase. They're kind of butterflying around. They want to make everybody happy and they want their message to be inspiring and motivating and nobody's really loving them. They like them, but they're not loving them. They're not joining anything they launched. They're not buying the book that they write. They're not doing anything like that. It's all too mediocre, warm, fuzzy. You got to choose a side, choose a side, go all in on it. And you're going to get a huge amount of audience that loves what you're saying. And you're going to push away the naysayers, the haters and the critics, which is what you want. It really is because they just take away the energy that you need to serve your people. And if you're, if you have the same, I mean, new information is constantly coming towards it. That's the beautiful thing about the human experience and, and this journey of life that we're on is that it is fluid. Guess what? I might get a new piece of information and that's going to completely change everything I believe my entire life. And for me, I think that's amazing. I think that's great to be able to be open to hearing other perspectives and then using my mind to decipher what makes sense to me and being like, you know what, actually, that makes more sense now. And I know I said this thing before, but guess what? Now I'm realizing this. And that takes, that's, I mean, it's hard. It's, it's really, courage. It be so really much hard. <laughs> it's because you literally could risk your current portfolio of friends if you say the wrong thing. Now, the wrong thing to them, not the wrong thing to you. So for example, you know, we just came off of a hard election year and we saw all these different things in politics. And we always think about, you never hear about anybody really switching sides. You know, if you're a Democrat or Republican, you never really hear anybody that vocally just switches sides. But I know several people who think completely opposite of what they voted because they're so afraid of losing their status or their friends and they would be horrified if they voted for the other side. So they don't even believe in what they're voting for, but they're willing to just fit in like sheep in the herd. And that's terrible to me. That's like living in a trap. Like, why do you even want to hang around with those people if you don't agree with them anymore? 
It's because you're so worried about losing those connections. But the reality is if you were vocal, you would go find the connections that you really want. And when you do start being vocal and you start finding those people, I mean, you start finding your tribe. You start right. finding the people that you are meant to serve, that you are here to influence and to impact. And and that's the only, I mean, that's exactly what you said. When you water down the message, when you make it to just like meh, middle of the line, again, another thing that I've you know done in the past and I'm changing now, I think you've probably noticed I've been getting a little bit more polarizing and kind of sharing my true thoughts more, which has been really, really hard because I have a, a massive fear of confrontation. I don't like- Nobody you know, loves that. <laughs> yeah. Nobody loves but... that. But it's necessary. It's kind of like- growth occurs on the other side of discomfort, right? Exactly. And if you want to just be comfortable all the time, you're going to avoid confrontation. You're going to avoid raising your voice. You're going to avoid standing up for yourself because you don't want to be in confrontation, but that's where the growth occurs, right? Exactly. That's where, that's where everything that is worth achieving happens is in that discomfort zone is in that area of you just feel like, I don't know how to proceed, but you just do anyways. You might not know, but you just keep on going. You keep putting that one foot in front of the other. You guys, this has been an absolutely incredible interview here with Tony. I am so blessed that you were able to come on and share your talents and your gifts and your knowledge and your voice and your energy with us here today. I know that people are going to want to um, know how they can connect with you further and you know hear more about your book, follow you on social media. How can people connect with you, Tony? Well, thank you for the opportunity. My website is 365driven.com. So 365driven.com. And from there, you'll find my best-selling book, my podcast, everything that you'd love to know about me is all on one easy to find website. So thank you for that. Perfect. And as always, you guys, I will put Tony's link in the description down below. So you can easily just pop on over there, click on over and check out all of the amazing gifts that Tony has to offer the world. Again, Tony, I just wanted to thank you one last time for taking the time out of your day to spend with us on the Becoming the Big Me podcast. Thank you so much. tuning into today's episode of the Becoming the Big Me podcast. If you found value in today's episode, make sure to leave us a review and share this episode with someone who needs to hear this message. That's how our podcast grows. Are you curious about learning more about harnessing the power of your subconscious mind? Then join the free Rewire Challenge, where we dive deep into the subconscious mind, how it works, and give you some tangible action steps to begin rewiring it to serve you. Go to bit.ly slash rewire challenge. That's bit.ly slash rewire challenge. Until next time, I'm your host, Jamila Bernie, signing out.